Expedition 44 here with Matt and Ryan again. Today we are going to continue the fan to follower. This is a second part on that series. Matt, what does that mean? Um, so fan to follower is our six week discipleship class that we're going through at our church. Uh, the first week we talked on prayer and worship. Um, I taught on worship and we did a video on that last week. This week we talked about the Bible. So right. the narrative of the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, our pastor talked about the covenants in the Old Testament and then I explained how the covenants and the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom are what frames basically the narrative of the entire Bible. Yep. And so how the Old Testament and New Testament connect was kind of my, my mission this week. So one of the things that I like to do is view the Bible all together connected. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't do that. You kind of get this idea that there's a lot of New Testament believers out there that, you know, they kind of look at the Old Testament as this ancient weird thing, you know, with all these laws. And I can't tell how many times like people just say, oh, we're free of all that, you know? And, and so there's this total almost like, you know, divorce of the Old Testament where the, the church, especially the Western church is really only thinking they're accepting the New Testament, it doesn't really work that way. No, it doesn't, not at all. Um, so we kind of started out with kind of an overview of what the New Testament was. So okay. it's a New Testament, it's a collection of early Christian writings. Yes, early Christian literature from the first century. Um, it consists of gospels, which um, some have framed us as um, ancient Roman biographies. Yeah. Um, and there's a theological historical book, which is Acts, which tells the beginning of the church. Um, we have epistles, which are letters that were written to Jesus' communities by the apostles and um, brothers of Jesus. Yep. And then we have an apocalypse, so right. which isn't a story about the end of the world so much. Yep. We've gone through that whole series. Apocalypse just means unveiling. It was a, yeah. it was a genre of, of writing in the early church. Now, the New Testament's written in Greek, as almost everybody knows, a specific type called Koine Greek, but it is kind of 300 years before, 300 years after, and to really understand the way that it's written, you kind of have to have a Hebrew context. That's where a lot of people kind of don't get this, is that if you don't understand what was happening in the Old Testament with Hebrew, and then realizing that a lot of that culture that Jesus and his followers were around were speaking Aramaic, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are written in the language that if you don't take it back to the Old Testament Hebraic way of thinking, even trying to understand the Greek writing is going to be problematic. Yep. Yeah, so the New Testament contains 27 letters or books, um, nine authors. Uh, we know most of them except for the writer of Hebrews. Um, and it was kind of the best guess is we usually say it's written somewhere between 40 and 70 CE. And if you tuned into our eschatology series, we give evidence of why we say 70. There's some people who take a later date for the book of Revelation and take that 92, 93. But that's kind of a overview of and I'd even say right up till 70 60 yep. maybe even 68 69 yep. right in there mm -hmm. yeah. right so where we when we approach the New Testament we got to look at all right what's going on with the Jews during this time we know the whole Old Testament is pretty much written about the nation of Israel and the yep. Jewish people so the Hebrew Bible ends with second Chronicles for our Protestant Bibles end with Malachi yep. so in second Chronicles if we're looking at this from a Hebrew mindset we got to see what's going on at the end of their Bible yep so end of their Bible, they're in exile. That's where it ends. Diaspora. Mm -hmm. They're just being spread all over the world at this point. And the question is, when do they come back? Yeah, we see parts of two of the tribes come back, but we never see all 12 tribes come back. Now there's a thinking here that 
it's going to be spread to three, four, maybe even five generations. So if you were a Jew reading how long exile was going to last, you truly were convinced that around the fourth or fifth generation that Israel would come back as a nation. Yet we look at that historically and has it happened yet? Yeah, and there's kind of also possibly this mindset if you interpret Daniel 9 in the 77s, seven, seven, yeah. it's kind of that play on that it keeps going. Yeah, so it's controversial. There really is, there is no right answer. In fact, mm -hmm. two of our favorites, Scott McKnight and N.T. Wright, they see similarly on this, but they don't see exactly the same. What would, what would McKnight say about it? McKnight would say that in Jesus, ex exile for the Jews ended. Yeah. that he was the fulfillment of uh, the culmination of the end of exile. Wright sees it slightly different. And and I like what both of them have to say. I probably lean a little bit more towards exile being done with the fulfillment of mm -hmm. Christ. And the reason I lean that way is because I see Christ on the throne right now. Yeah, and we see Second um, Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 20, that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm not, I'm not dyed in the wool here, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's not really a huge issue. Mm -hmm. One, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself to be Jewish, nor really anybody that I'm really close to be. And so it's, it's almost a, a non-discussion. But then you get into the New Testament, and does it even really matter that I'm Jewish? No. <laughs> We're all together. We're <laughs> yeah. all the same. So, yeah. so it really doesn't. So this, along with a lot of other theological areas, it's it's a great conversation, it's a great study, but in, in terms of like bearing on the way that I'm going to live, the way that I'm going to act, it really has almost no bearing or no compass on no. that. No, so we see New Testament starts out, there's still this mindset of exile, even though a couple tribes have yeah. come back, um, and now an exile in the Hebrew mind was the equivalent of death. Yeah. Because you're out of the land, the sacred yep. space, we talked over and over about sacred space, you have in the book of Ezekiel, God's presence has left his people. And so really the return of exile is being in the land and having God's presence dwell among them. Yeah, and what is it connected to? So if you're a Second Chronicles Jew and you're reading this and you're, you're pacing generations or whatever, what needs to happen for release of exile? You need to be your, a king and pretty much your own political nation again, being back in the land, living yeah. under Torah. Okay. So exactly, I would say that yeah. that's kind of the, what it would be. Where does forgiveness of sin fit in? So, Ryan, you'll probably put on the screen here a whole bunch of verses that connect in the Old Testament that connects forgiveness of sin with the release from exile and the return of God's presence to his people in the land. Yeah. So it's promises and that thought pattern. And this is kind of summed there. up in Zechariah's song, but yeah. expound on it a little bit. What does that mean? Yeah, so Zechariah's song, um, when he's prophesying after he gets his voice back, um, after he doubted the Lord and all this, and um, names his son John, according yep. to what was told to him, um, he prophesies about the end of exile and the forgiveness of sins. Okay. And so that's kind of where a lot of this is connected through. So we always talk about this connection of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, you know, whether you're talking about the concept of the gospel or really anything else, the narrative of scripture, you have to connect both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah. If you fail to connect the Old Testament with the New Testament, you don't get the whole picture. You miss the story. Yeah, so we see this pretty clearly in uh, the gospel, and we've done the gos our gospel series and how it connects with the story of Israel. Yeah. You can go back and watch that. We had a four-part series there. Yeah. Um, 
But gospel means good news, and it was a royal announcement in the ancient world. Um, yeah. We have a, the pre-end inscription, which is um, found in Asia Minor and a few different places, and it was a pronouncement of Caesar Augustus as the savior of the world yeah. and celebrating his birthday. Yeah. And it was a few years before Jesus was born. It echoes what the angel yeah. said about Jesus being born, that he was going to be the savior of the world, and it kind of... Yeah is uh, political playing off each other and there. even just the word Christ itself uh -huh. I mean Christ itself means the anointed one and mm -hmm. that was that was the when do we see anointed ones in the Old Testament high priests and kings they're always high priests and kings and so this is the anointed one the Christ mm -hmm. and so you know right away just the, the the name the title the word itself I always yeah. say this names and titles in Hebrew are very important yeah. and like a lot of people totally just miss that yeah so one thing that I think is kind of misunderstood in the church is what the gospel of the kingdom is, or the kingdom of God, that concept yeah. of the kingdom of God. And I like kind of how Scott McKnight explains it in his Kingdom Conspiracy book. He's like, you got the skinny jeans gospel, which is all about people, even outside the church, doing things that are for the better of humanity. Yeah. They call that kind of the social justice thing. And then you got like the pleated pants gospel, yep. is what, or kingdom, which is more of kind of what we see in our Western American church um, church driven right. activities and but we see that it's a lot different so Jesus um, in Mark uh, chapter 1 14 and 15 it says Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news the gospel of God saying the time has come the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news so it connects the kingdom of God and the gospel together yeah. right there yeah. right at the beginning of Mark and again we kind of honed in on this but one of our pet peeves is that so many times people think that the gospel is simply in a soterian state of yeah. salvation. Uh -huh. That's it. And you and I say, it's more than that. Yeah, it's Jesus is king. Jesus is king. It's not um, the benefits, so the benefits are true. Yeah. But the actual gospel proper is yeah. the pronouncement of Jesus is king, the royal announcement. And McKnight puts this into five different places. What do you, what do you think of the way that he organizes this? I really like it. So in, in his book, uh, Kingdom Conspiracy, he says the five parts that make up a kingdom are a king, a king that rules, so a king, a rule, a people yep. under that ruling king, a law, and they're in a land, yeah. in sacred space. And you'll notice with our videos, we've spent so much time saying these words. Mm -hmm. I mean, whenever this comes up in whatever we're studying, we, we pause for a moment and say, sacred land, sacred space, mm -hmm. do you get this? We, we, we study the law to no end because even though a lot of people think that the law was just a stopgap, and we would agree yeah. with that, to keep people on track yep. in the Old Testament, there's still a lot to be gleaned. Uh, I'm always asking the question, when God established law, did he establish it because it was his perfect way or it was good or did he establish this because of something that man did to muck something up and it was just perhaps a plan B, C, D along yeah. the way? So I always want to find, is this God's perfect plan from the beginning? And there's parts of the law that I would say I'm going to put into mm -hmm. that ballpark. And so that's where a New Testament believer says the law is important because there are things in there that are God's way and I want to get on God's way. Yep. Yeah, so the first part we said is a king. So, and you mentioned Messiah, Messiah or, yeah. or Christ, yep. Christos in Greek, it's Mashiach in Hebrew, uh, kind of the same meaning there. Uh, it's interesting, when Jesus begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, he quotes Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, um, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed, Yeah, that's the word Messiah, or the word for Messiah, and the Messiah is the anointed one, yep. um, 
anointed me to proclaim the good news, the gospel yeah. to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, release from exile. Well, yeah. there, yep. Recovery of sight to the blind um, and set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what I really like about this is whenever you read the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, they're saying Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. And so when when they, when you see that name, it's not just written that way to say Matt or mm-hmm. Ryan. Yeah. If they were doing that, they would yeah. have just used Yeshua. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're using the title part of it. Yep. And so every time they're actually proclaiming yeah. his authority of kingship when yep. you see that. Yeah, we see in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, he's got, I believe, it's three lists of 14 names. Yeah. If you use the way that um, the Hebrew alphabet is set up with numerically, um, what's that, Gematria? Yep. Or, yep. And um, 14 is the number of David. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And so we've got a list from Abraham, a list from David, a list of the exile. And it's all, if you take the 14s in yeah. these generations, the 14 names in each list, it's like David, David, David. It's shouting out, basically, that, all right, this is the king from the line of David. And that's the connection to the Davidic covenant. Mm-hmm. But we not only see the Davidic covenant connection with Christ, we see all the covenant yeah. connections with Christ. So you Christ. got Moses, so the book of Matthew again. Um, you got out of Egypt, I've called my son. We got yeah. Herod trying to kill babies, right. the Moses connection. Yeah. We have um, Jesus' baptism, the Red Sea connection yeah. there. You got the the wandering, the wilderness temptation, the wandering in the wilderness. Then you have Jesus going up on the, on the mountain and giving the Sermon on the Mount, the the Torah. So many beautiful connections mm-hmm. here. And and to not get that or just to simply read the New Testament without saying, wait, wait a minute, there's a connection mm-hmm. here. What is the connection? Yep. Doesn't doesn't really follow. And we love those connections. Yeah, we do. We, we love it that you can kind of glean or understand what Jesus was trying to accomplish in his kingship ministry on earth mm-hmm. by going back and studying the pictures, the reflection, the mirrors. Yep. So the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself, and this is also kind of a kingly title. It is. Um, it's a servant <laughs> king. Yeah. Um, that we see in Daniel 7, we've talked quite a bit about this in our eschatology series, the Son of Man coming on the clouds before the Ancient of Days, given yeah. all rule, dominion, power, sovereignty. Yeah. Um, and and when was, he's on trial, he quotes that, yeah. and that's what gets him into trouble. Yeah. That's, that's what puts him on the cross, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew 26, 24, they're asking him, are, basically asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? And he says... From this day forward, you'll see, uh-huh. <laughs> he quotes Daniel 7 there, basically saying, hey, I'm the son of man. I'm the one who has all rule, power, and authority. I'm the Jewish king. And again, it's when he's answering these questions, it's a beautiful kind of metaphorical way of answering a question, sometimes with a question mm-hmm. or creating a story, which was a higher understanding in not only the Jewish mindset, but that was also kind of stemmed with the Greek and Roman mindset yeah. too. So, you know, when he answers it, it sounds funny to us the way that he would answer these mm-hmm. questions, but in his socio-rhetorical yeah. viewpoint, it, it made perfect sense. Yeah, and I've even had people say, well, Jesus never calls himself a king. I'm like, well, you're not reading it with right. in that culture. Yeah. I'm like, he, it's like shouting it on every page of the Didn't New Testament. Didn't more clear, yeah. Like, but they don't use the English word king but they use all the titles for Caesar and then apply them to Jesus, and they use all the Jewish king titles and apply them to Jesus. So not only was he shouting it, but everybody around him was also doing that Yes, so there's no denying that Jesus is king and he thought of himself as a king, and all of his followers thought of himself as a reigning king. So what about the role part of it? So we, we got the king established. I think out of any of these McKnight points, the role one is the one sometimes where people kind of go... 
I don't know about that. You know, yeah. it wasn't the rule that the Jewish people wanted to happen. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, for hundreds of years, the the Israelites wanted this supreme military leader mm -hmm. to come in and literally clean house and come back in and establish a nation. And you know, yeah. the temple thing is again interesting. We, we won't go there today, to but beat the enemies, <laughs> kick the Romans' butts out of. And town. it never happened. Yeah. So today, a traditional Jew would even right now question the role part of this. Yep. Yeah, so we see Jesus talking about how Gentiles rule in Matthew chapter 20 about lording over their yeah. subjects. Right. And that his rule is quite different. Very different, yeah. Yeah, so Jesus and McKnight says he rules by ransoming his people, redeeming his people, rescuing, saving, justifying his yep. people. So that's the way. So his rule is a rule by liberating people. It's freedom. Uh -huh. And we love to chant that as uh -huh. New Testament Christians. I mean, we'll sing about it, we'll shout it from the mountaintop, but do you really understand the connection of freedom? Yeah, and the freedom that it's connected with is a freedom to live as Jesus, which it's an upside-down kingdom, as yes. we always talk about, and Jesus rules by giving his life away. Yeah. So it's this surrender to this kind of rule. And, you know, some people just don't understand the kind of rule, mm -hmm. so how are they going to surrender? But this is where the Lordship of Christ connects mm -hmm. to this. And we see the most quoted, like, psalm yeah. about Jesus, and, like, all throughout the New Testament, is Psalm 110, verse 1, which is, the Lord said, my Lord sit at my right hand, and it talks about enemies being yeah. footstools and that. How did Jesus make his enemies a footstool? He gave up his life. Yeah. So And we, we've already made a series on the gospel. Yep. And it was really good. If you haven't seen that, yep. go back and watch some of that. But but in this discussion, you can't have this discussion without coming back to the gospel mm -hmm. over and over and over. And so one of the one of the things that keeps coming up and McKnight kind of brought it up and then he's questioned, it's a controversial point with McKnight is what about first Corinthians fifteen? Is yeah. is that that's that's talking about the role. Mm -hmm. What is it? Is that the gospel in of itself? I believe that, yeah, the 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we, we've talked about um, three times Paul makes explicit gospel statements and they all deal with the kingship of Jesus and yep. the resurrection. Yep. Those are like the two overlapping major themes in it. I mean, Second Timothy 3.8, I believe it is, right. is um, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is yeah. my gospel, period. Yeah. <laughs> so then the question that comes up is when you look at 1 Corinthians 15 as the yeah. gospel, how much of it is the gospel? Is it the first few verses? Is it to verse 8? Is it the whole thing? If I'm going to say this is the gospel, what am I talking about? Yeah, I believe it. it's talking about the end of exile. So we see the forgiveness of yep. sins there, according to the scriptures, tying in the whole story of Israel, yeah. um, which is the descendant of David, the king stuff. They call him Messiah, Christ, all in there, putting enemies under his feet. Yep. talks about him giving up his life to conquer death. Yep. I say that's all part of the gospel. Yeah, and we like to just read everything in context of everything. And so, you know, to I never want to just take four verses. Mm -hmm. And so people are always trying to nail this one down. Is it just the first four? And I, and I kind of go... It's all together. It doesn't yeah. matter, you know. Like Paul kind of is famous for getting off on these little tangents, uh -huh. and so that's kind of the, the middle of First mm -hmm. Corinthians is he's talking about the gospel, and then I see he kind of gets off a little bit on this tangent, which is connected. Don't lose yeah. that. But then at the end, he comes back and ties that's it in all together. Too. And yeah. so I would say the first eight verses are the summary, and then he expounds yeah. on it after yeah. that. That's a good way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. So I think that establishes the rule that yeah. you know everybody. It's a different kind of rule than what people were thinking, yeah. but now having the benefit that we have of seeing the whole Bible and being able to look at it telescopically and mm -hmm. seeing how it is all connected, it's very easy to see that role. At yeah. the time of Christ, 
did you see the rule in the way that you were hoping to see it? Not necessarily, but it's still definitely a rule. And mm -hmm. the next one is people. Tell us a little bit about the people. So we see people of God in the Old Testament, like our big picture that we usually see is Israel is God's yeah. people. Right. right. I mean, initially we had Adam yeah. and then and then eventually it came to the Tower of Babel. We yeah. talked about our Deuteronomy 32 worldview, yep. where God divides up the nations yep. and selects Israel as his own. That's Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Yep. Um, because of the mucked up world, because of the sons of God who led these nations astray, yeah. God is using Israel to regather the nations, one yep. big family. Yep. So he wants all nations, and this is the theme all over in the Old Testament through the prophets, that all nations will come in and worship Yahweh. Yeah. Um, we see in Acts 2 that um, as the spirits poured out, people go out, um, they're going and it lines up with those places that we've talked about from Genesis 10 at the yeah. Tower of Babel, the Table of Nations. God's regathering the nations yeah. through his pronouncement that uh, Jesus is the reigning king. And it seems like a lot of people get hung up on theology here. Mm -hmm. Like they want to talk about replacement theology, if you buy in, if you don't yeah. buy in, where, where does this land with it and things like that. And we've had that discussion on mm -hmm. several films. You can go back and watch some of that if you want to. But when you're talking about the simple matter of a people, who is this people, mm -hmm. I think it's important to see that the plan A was for everybody uh -huh. and then he hones in after things get really messed up like you said after fallen deities and this and that he hones in on Israel but the plan is always to come back to the original plan of everybody right and yeah now. and so we get in uh, John chapter 1 that those who believe not the ones born of natural descent or of a husband's will yeah. those who believe are called the sons of God yeah. so it's open for anybody it's pretty cool. so yeah so that's cool and then Gal Galatians uh, 3 28 29 there's no uh, Jew or Greek, male, female, yep. slave, free, but all are in Christ and Abraham's seed. And that's the point you made earlier about, you know, has Israel come out of exile that I would say, yes, they've come out of exile because those verses say that we're together now. But yep. again, that's arguable. Yep. But does it, again, is it bearing? Do, yep. do you... Is this something that if, if you were taking the other point that I would need to sit here and argue before we could walk out of this room? No. <laughs> we, we don't care. It's, don't it's, care. A, it's yeah. a non binding yeah. issue. So, the next one is law. We've already spoken a little bit about law, and you and I both see this as stopgap law yeah. in the Old Testament, but also that there's more to be gleaned out of it. So, what? how does the Torah play into this? Um, yeah, we see Torah, like he says, as a stopgap. It's holding Israel for that purpose of the Messiah coming, but it's also training them of how, in their culture, to live as set apart people yeah. of God. Yeah. And so there's stuff that we can glean from that. And ultimately the point of the Mosaic law is to be like fulfilled. The telos yeah. is Jesus. Exactly. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 5 through 7, if yeah. you read that, he's giving kind of, not replacing Torah, but explaining the heart behind Torah. Parable teaching. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that and we see the parables. We see the apostles. I think uh, if you go back and watch our Galatians 5 and 6 yeah. episodes, kind of the ethics of the kingdom yeah. through the Apostle Paul's eyes there, we kind of get that this is kind of the law and the way to live it out as kingdom people. I kind of like to see it that when we, when we read it in the parables, we're watching this happen. And then all of a sudden, when you get to Galatians, somebody figured it out and connected all the dots, you know? And so, yep. so in the Gospels, we're watching it unfold. We're watching Jesus do what the Old Testament said was going to be done. And mm -hmm. in Galatians, they go, oh my goodness, this yep. just happened. Yep. So it's, it's kind of a neat thing. There's, there's also, um, um, you, you like to say, pick up our cross. Yep. Describe that a little bit. Yeah, so Jesus 
showed us his radical non-retributive, self-giving love on the cross. And he calls us to love in the same way. To pick up our cross, which means to emulate Jesus, to be like uh, Michael Gorman, I think it is, is to be cruciformed in your life. So be cross-formed. So Jesus is radical, forgiving, cross, self-giving love. That is the way, the ethic of the life we should live. Now, a lot of people say the law hasn't been abolished, it's just been changed. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a new law that we live by, and that law is simply a law of love and picking yeah. up your cross mm-hmm. and allegiance to yeah. King Jesus. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Good. Now, the last part is land. And you and I are always talking about sacred space. It, it's throughout mm-hmm. the entire Bible. And this is this is one where, again, I would say that like the law is not gone because some of this sacred space, sacred sacred land was locked into that that Mm -hmm. type of law thinking yet in the new testament he's still talking that way and so that if nothing else that should be a way to go oh there's a connection it's not finished Uh new start there's something that still carries over here but ryan isn't our goal to go to heaven (laughs) heaven heaven on earth that's good so So we see revelation (laughs) at the end of revelation that heaven comes to earth and we talk about this all the time so our destination is physical land, physical, yeah. physical earth, resurrected bodies. Yeah. It's not the pie in the sky going, like, I'm soul going to heaven. It's, as N.T. Wright says, life after and life after death. And my kids go, Dad, you always say this, yeah, but I say it too. starts with Eden <laughs> and it ends with a very Eden-like yep. presence. So, and it's based on land, which yep. is kind of crazy. Yep. So, yeah, and it's all the earth. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything. And so when you're thinking this way in terms of sacred space, the idea is that when the earth was created, it was God's sacred mm-hmm. space. It was all good. Yep. Man mucks it up in the middle. Yep. And then at the end, we're going to see a return to that sacred space, all good type of thing. Yep. Yeah. So five, we're recapping five parts of the kingdom. So there's a king, that's Jesus, a king who rules, who rules by redeeming and restoring and liberating um, a people, all who believe in him, um, a law. So it's the law, the, the cruciform love, the Sermon on the Mount life. Yep. That is the law. And then a land, sacred space, all of creation. Good. Yep. Now, you and I are really into King Jesus thinking, and we've been describing that this whole time, but yep. let's just kind of nail it down a little closer. What does that mean when we think King Jesus thinking? Yeah, so we've talked about end of exile, and so really the, if you look at the end of Second Chronicles and the mindset of a Jew going into kind of this intertestamental period, they were expecting a new and bigger exile. Yeah. So that's kind of what they're looking for in this Messiah, and when Jesus comes, they communicate in the Gospels and through the New Testament writings the theme of Exodus over and over and over as Jesus bringing this new Exodus. Yeah. So you take the patterns, we talked about this earlier Mm -hmm. in today's film, you take the patterns of what happens in the Old Testament, the slavery, the the, uh, liberation, the parting of the Red Sea, which is a picture Mm -hmm. of baptism, going into the new land, which is a reference of heaven, Mm -hmm. all those things are going to be described as a new exodus. So you have the foreshadows in the Old Testament, but those are those are those originals are foreshadowing something that's going to mm-hmm. happen bigger and better. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea that thinking is King Jesus through the new exodus. Yeah, I think the my favorite place to look at this is Romans five through eight. Yeah. So slavery and, to sin. Yeah, the slavery to sin. And the sin in Romans five is depicted as a power. And you can almost 
see that this could actually be spiritual powers as well. As we talked yeah. about in the Deuteronomy yeah. 32 worldview, we see that a major motif of the cross is defeating the powers. Absolutely. So that's... And that's the part that a lot of Christians just aren't sure on. They know that Christ was victorious mm -hmm. at the cross over the spiritual beings, but we don't really know to what extent. And that mm -hmm. that's part of the mystery of the gospel is, uh -huh. is like... Matt and I have this question all the time. What did that mean? We always mm -hmm. say we're going to write one of the best theology books ever when we can answer this <laughs> question. question yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in Romans chapter 5, we got the power of, of sin, this new Pharaoh. Yeah. And we have Jesus um, as kind of that picture of Moses bringing God's people out from underneath this power. Yep. Um, the chapter 6 of Romans, you have... The chapter on baptism, so it's almost like coming through the Red Sea. Yeah. Um, chapter seven is all about the law. Yep. Um, chapter eight then is new coming creation. into the land, yeah. the new creation. Yep. So it's this it's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So and then that new creation is kind of the, the picture of the kingdom, which is already and not yet. There's all of this already not yet um, language in Romans eight. Yeah. So it's like yeah, this in the world right now, it doesn't might not look like the kingdom of God, but. It's coming, and it's here, actually. Yeah. Jesus even said, the kingdom of God is among you, so the kingdom... And, and the connection here is the Passover lamb leading to this exodus. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of you guys that have gone on three-day retreats with us, we, we talk through this and mm -hmm. kind of tell the whole story of the Azazel and the scapegoat and everything else. But, but if you've ever been to a Jews for Jesus, like Seder dinner or something like mm -hmm. that, you'll get the Old Testament connection to the New Testament yep. Messiah. And when it's all laid out like that, mm -hmm. and I think we do have this on a video somewhere. Yeah, but so. but uh, so I remember the first time that I got this, I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute, 18 years old, and I, I was uh, going to this, what I thought was a party, and I started dating this girl that was involved with Jews for Jesus. Moody at the time was the National Training Center for Jews for Jesus. And so I go to this, and they basically you know, it took several hours. It was like the longest dinner party I've ever been to. <laughs> but they took several hours. I think it went for about eight hours and wow. explained the entire connection, you know, of, of all of the feasts and everything else to the New Testament. Not only just to Jesus, but they'll, they'll take them and go further. And if you, you know, reach out to Jews for Jesus, they still do this. You can mm -hmm. still go to a dinner party like that. And it's pretty awe-inspiring. So yep. the first time I saw all those connections, it made me kind of get on this tangent of there's a lot more to this New Testament Christianity than I thought, mm -hmm. and it's rooted throughout the scriptures of the Bible. and comes back to context and socio-rhetorical socio thinking, that it's all linked together. And to fully understand, you really have to understand the whole message of the Bible together. You can't take out little bits and pieces of it because it's all interconnected. Yeah, and so kind of to summarize this whole thing is you can't unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament as a popular preacher has said recently. <laughs> you need the Old Testament for the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and so, and it just makes the New Testament and reading it so much more beautiful. Awesome. May God bless you and keep you today.